Our scripture reading is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, I have a very simple question this morning. Maybe it's threefold. Are you ready to learn? Are, are you ready to grow? Let's go, because we've got a lot to cover, and we're going to get into it. And let me just say, for those of you that are OCD types this morning, you're not going to get to fill in all the blanks in your paper, okay? <laughs> so I just, we're going to make a few cuts, but that's okay. Because there is so much ground that we're going to look at in God's Word today. In fact, this message is the first of three that are going to be used to close out our look in the book of Ephesians. And I want you to notice that our passage starts with the word, Finally, do you see that right there in verse 10? It starts with the word finally, and some of you are thinking, yes, finally. We're coming to the end of the book of Ephesians. In fact, that's why Paul starts Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 with that. He's coming and letting us know that the letter that he's written to this most precious church in Ephesus is going to be coming to an end. But Paul's a pastor, and when a pastor says finally... That means he still has a lot more to say, all right? And so that's what we're going to see in this letter, that in these instructions that Paul gives in verses 10 through, through 20, that there's a significant amount of not only just information here, but, but depth. And so we're not just going to simply blow through this because of all that is here. In fact, today is just going to really introduce to us in verses 10 through 13. I'm not even going to go through this text in full detail, but it's going to introduce to us Paul's final thoughts that he has to share. And what we're going to discover today is that this section of God's word serves as both a reality check and a shot in the arm. Not just for the believers in Ephesus, but for us today. You know what I mean when I say reality check? Like this is, this is, this is a set of, uh, of verses in God's word that says, are you aware of this? Like, like don't be ignorant here. Like I, this is a reality check. This is real. This is happening. Are you aware of it? But it also comes and serves as a shot in the arm. It's a little boost to us. And so it's going to first be a reality check, but then it's going to be a word of encouragement. And so it all starts this way. Look at verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. What we have Paul doing here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, is he's beginning this final section of his book with an exhortation. The exhortation that Paul is giving here is really straightforward. 
It's more easily understood when you look at this verse in the Greek, the literal translation of, of this. It actually helps out. Because when he says, be strong in the Lord, like what does that mean, be strong in the Lord? Well, the answer you find is, is when you look at the Greek and you translate it literally, it means strengthen yourselves in the Lord. Strengthen yourselves in the Lord. And so the exhortation is, go to Jesus Christ for what you need to live your new life. At the heart of this final exhortation that he's giving to the church and to all of us, in light of everything that he says, is he's saying, go, go to Jesus Christ. Look to him for what you need to live out your new life. Because the first part of this book, he's, he's gone and he's made it very, very clear in chapters one through three that through the work of God, we have been saved. We have been redeemed. We are given by the work God does. By grace, you have been saved through faith and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. We enter into a new life through Jesus Christ. And so what he's coming here and he's saying is that, yes, while you have this new life, you still need something. There's my light. <laughs> in order to ultimately get through this life, in order to live out that new life, you need to be continually going to Jesus. You need to be looking to him, and he has what you need. You know, when I look out today, I have to assume something, and I don't think I'm inaccurate. Most everybody probably got here this morning by driving their car. There's maybe one or two individuals that could have walked here, but living in Valley Center, you drove your vehicle to get here. Now, not only did you drive your vehicle to get here, but in order for your vehicle to drive here, it needed something. Uh, well, at least most vehicles still need this in order to get somewhere. California was going to soon ban this. But uh, what did you need in order to get here? What needed to be in your vehicle in order for your vehicle to go? You need, you need gas, right? You need gasoline to be in your vehicle in order to, to get here. But, but did you just have like, uh, does your car just naturally produce gasoline on its own? Uh, you know, I, I mean, that's a spectacular car if you do. I mean, uh, it's patent that and sell it. No, like you, you probably went to one of the 25 gas stations that are in Valley Center, right? Like we have such a small community, so many gas stations. Uh, but in order to get what you needed, in order for your vehicle to go, you needed gasoline. In order to get gasoline, you went to a gas station. Like look at when, when Paul comes and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. What he's saying is strengthen yourself in the Lord because he has the power, he has the strength that you need. You're not gonna find the strength, you're not gonna find the power to live your new life in and of yourself. Now we're gonna look at this idea of looking to the Lord in more detail, but what I want us to see is why. Why is Paul calling upon us to look to Jesus, to go to Jesus for the strength that he provides? And that's because when you look at Ephesians and what we've studied thus far, up to this point, one of the things that we've learned is while we have this new life in Jesus Christ, Paul has also been abundantly clear with us that we face internal struggles. That even though we have a new life in Jesus Christ, we still face internal struggles. We've been rescued, redeemed, forgiven. And as I've said to you before, when Jesus Christ saves us, he frees us from the penalty of sin. 
he frees us from the power of sin, but the presence of sin still exists, both in the world and, according to the scriptures, our sinful nature. It's something that's still a part of us. We are not yet freed from all of our fleshly desires. As believers in Jesus Christ, there's a struggle that still remains in our life. In fact, when you look over at chapter 4, we looked at this in kind of greater detail. We looked at how when we're given this new life in Jesus, like verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Why would he call us? to walk in a manner worthy unless, as we see in the text, there's still the temptation, there's still the potentiality to, to revert back to behavior and actions that are not in accordance with the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. In fact, let's go on further into chapter 4. He says this, he says in verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Notice what he says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He's saying, put off the old, put on the new. He says, your mind has been renewed, but it's also being renewed. Listen, to be a follower of Jesus Christ means that your sins are forgiven, means that you have been freed and that you have been redeemed from sin's power. But anyone who comes to you and says, hey, once you believe in Jesus Christ, your life, you're not gonna have any struggles. You're not gonna have any temptations. If you find a person that's telling you that, they're either ill-informed, they're misguided, or they're just flat out a liar. Because the Bible comes to us and said, yes, yes, you have through Christ this, this power over the sinful flesh, but you're still gonna wrestle with it. Paul talked about it when he wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter seven. I don't have the, the time to go there. In Galatians chapter five, he says that the spirit and the flesh, that they're at war with one another. Church, if you have struggles, finding yourself still desiring certain things, tempted towards certain things that you know are not in accordance with your new life in Jesus, that does not mean that you're not saved. That's just an indication of the struggle and the wrestle that still exists within the believer's life this side of heaven. In fact, one of the things that I find is often so disheartening for a Christian is a person who comes and says, well, you, you shouldn't struggle with certain temptations. You shouldn't struggle with certain desires. The truth is we struggle against our old sinful nature. Now, it doesn't mean that that old sinful nature has to win, that we have to give in to those things, but simply being tempted towards things, simply feeling a desire for certain things. Like, listen, I like peace and quiet. Anybody here love chaos? Like <laughs> that, that, no, I think most of us like peace and quiet. You know, I have a desire for that. Like that in and of itself is not a bad thing, but when, but when I'm not necessarily getting the peace and quiet because of choices, decision, or voices <laughs> of my children, right? I find that, that that desire for peace and quiet begins to well up with inside of me to the point that I'm willing to respond a certain way, maybe in I don't know, anger or frustration towards my, towards my children. 
Now, I don't have to give into that anger and into that frustration and into those, those things. But when that wells up inside of me, that's, that's the flesh at war with my spirit. I know that I'm supposed to, and I have in the spirit, the ability for self-control, gentleness, patience, kindness, all those kinds of things. But listen, we struggle against our old sinful nature. In fact, I don't know if you felt this way, but when we were going through Ephesians chapter five and we were looking at what it meant to be an imitator of God and the different relationships that he's given us as wives, as husbands, as children, as parents, as workers, as employers, you know, Paul is painting a picture of how, of how Christ redeems and changes us in all of these roles. And I look at that picture of what it means to be a husband and, and to be a father. And, and I see that sometimes loving my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, like that's not always the easiest thing. Not exacerbating my children, like not always the easiest thing. Because it, there's still this old sinful nature that's at war with the spirit. And I draw our attention to it because, listen, that's why Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord and the, and the power that he provides because I've been showing you, you wrestle. I wrestle. This is, this is part of our struggle in the world. But know that you don't go at it alone. And so one of the things I want to say to us this, this morning is, is this, listen, where some people get this wrong, and I was touching on it a moment ago, was that struggling with the old nature, it does not mean you're not a saint. Do you hear me on that? Struggling with the old nature, struggling with the flesh, recognizing that there's this internal struggle and experience it, it doesn't mean that you're a saint. In fact, if anything, when, when you begin to, to feel welling up with inside of you a desire for something, when a temptation is put before you to do something other than what you know God would call you to do. In fact, just like look at this for a minute. If you go back to chapter four. In chapter four, he says, walk in a manner worthy, walk in light, walk in love. And then down in verse 25, he says this, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So when you're tempted to lie, to, to cover a situation because you think that that's the, the best thing to, to be done in, in order for you to, to save face, he says, no, no, no. He's like, when you're faced with that temptation, when you're, you're faced with that, he's like, you don't have to give into that. But the fact that you're faced with the temptation to lie, that doesn't mean that you're not a saint. When you look to steal, that doesn't mean that you're, you're not a saint. When, when, you, when you're tempted to let corrupting talk come out of your mouth, he gives this whole list, and why is he saying, he says, listen, you're going to struggle, but that doesn't mean that you're a saint. In fact, if you have no, if you don't feel any kind of struggle, if you don't feel worried at all about your actions and your behavior and your speech, if, if that doesn't even cross your mind that what you might be doing might not be what God desires, that's what should scare you. <laughs> And what shouldn't scare you is when you realize, oh, I'm tempted to do this, this thing. That, that's not right. I shouldn't desire that. Like that is an indication of the spirit at work in your life versus the person who doesn't recognize at all those things. Well, that's a scary place to be. As clear as I can say, listen, to be a saint, to be a holy one, to be redeemed, saints can still struggle. Do you believe that? It doesn't mean, notice the word that I said there, saints can still struggle. It doesn't mean that you have to say, oh, no, I mean, you know, a sinner's going to sin. No, no, no. You, that, you, just don't, you just don't say, oh, you know, I live in a sinful world, so, so 
I'm going to give in. No, no, no. You're going to struggle. But as we see here in the text, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. The, in, the implication of that is in and through Jesus Christ, we know how to face our internal struggles. But then the text goes on. Are you ready for this? Like, you know, I just came and said, you're going to struggle as a Christian. You're like, yay, that's exciting. It gets worse. Look at what the text goes on to say. It's not just that living out our new life in Jesus is not natural or easy. Remember, this is a reality check. This is a reality check. He doesn't say be strong in the Lord unless there's a reason why we need his strength. He goes on to be even more clear why we need his strength. Verse 10 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Up to this point in Ephesians, Paul has been talking a significant minute about our internal struggles that we face. Now he lets us know, oh, by the way, you're fighting a battle on two fronts. <laughs> it's not just that you have these internal struggles. What he's pointing us to in this text, as clear as I can say it, is this. We face external spiritual oppression. It's not just that you have internal struggles due to the old sinful nature. You face, I face, external spiritual oppression. That there are beings in the world, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, that seek to ultimately draw us away from worship and obedience of God. Church, we are fighting a battle on two fronts. During World War II, one of the reasons why most historians say that Germany ended up losing the war, thankfully, was because Hitler made a very, very dumb mistake when the Allied forces had been attacking, he was primarily focused on, on Europe. But then he got it in his mind that Europe wasn't enough. He wanted to also put Russia in its place. And so when you look at a map of World War II and what happened, you have Germany in the middle, and then ultimately you have Russia to the east, and then the European Allied forces to, to the west. And so Germany was then forced to fight a battle on two fronts. Ultimately, they weren't strong enough. They did not have the resources. They did not have the power to fight this battle on two fronts. And they, like I said, we know from history, they lost the war. And I've just told you we have an internal struggle. And now I've just told you that we have this external struggle against these spiritual forces. Well, what about us? What about us? Well, before we get to this idea of the hope that we can have in the face of this battle. Let's, let's talk and let's be honest just really quickly about these external spiritual forces or this opposition that we face. Church, do you know that the material world, what you see, what you taste, what you smell, what you hear, that this is not all there is? Do you know that? Let's try that one more time with maybe a verbal answer. Do you know that the material world is not all there is? Yes, when God created the universe, he created both the material and the immaterial. He created both the physical and he created the spiritual realms. I don't have time this morning to get into the fullness of it, but just to point out the reason why Paul says, be aware that you are fighting against spiritual forces is because there is a spiritual realm. In fact, you yourself are not just this clump of cells. You yourself are both spiritual and physical. 
and that God himself is spirit. And so there is this spiritual realm that you and I aren't necessarily always aware of, that we don't always are, are looking into and seeing. And in fact, in many ways, and I'll use this again next week, I, I think about the time when I went snorkeling with my family and my dear youngest, you know, at, well, she was my middle child at the time, Addie, when she when we went snorkeling and she loved the idea of, of going snorkeling, when she put her face under the water for the first time and where we were, there were fish all around her. She just freaked out. I mean, she had been swimming in the ocean for years, but she had no idea that right underneath the surface were all these creatures. And she was like, ah, she jumped up on me and we swam back in to, to the, and I'm like, they were there all along. She just what? She didn't see it. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. There are these spiritual forces at work and they are not all on God's side. The scriptures are clear that, that there were spiritual beings, angels who rebelled against God. One of the passages you can look at is 2 Peter 2.4 that talks about this. They sinned just like it's in the physical realm. We see humanity rebelling against God. So too in the spiritual realm, we see these beings that that rebelled against God and turned away from him. And the primary one, as even our text says, was none other than the devil, called Lucifer, called Satan. In our text, he's addressed as the devil. Look at verse 11. It says it really clearly here. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Did you know that there's a devil who is plotting and planning to ultimately try and draw you and me towards disobedience of God, towards not worshiping him. And the reason why he does it is because he hates God. And you're like, well, if his beef is with God, why does he have a beef with me? It's because if you understand biblical theology, you know that you were created to be an image bearer of God. But when you and I sinned, we ceased to bear God's image in the way that he had intended. And so Jesus Christ came into the world to save and to redeem us, to restore us as image bearers of God. So every time Satan looks at you and he looks at me, he sees Christ, he sees God's image, and he hates it. And so he doesn't want you to walk as Chapter 5, verse 1 says, he doesn't want you to therefore be an imitator of God. And so he's plotting schemes. Next week, we're going to look at detail. What, what are those kinds of schemes? And ultimately, how do we avoid them? But notice the text doesn't just talk about the devil being real. He also talks about, well, verse 12. He uses these four different words to describe additional spiritual beings who are opposed to us. Now, some people have some different interpretations of this. Most scholars think that Paul isn't describing four different types of spiritual beings here, but he's instead describing just, again, fallen angels who have ultimately, this, as he describes them, are the ways that they exercise or live out their rebellion against God in the present time. This is how they manifest themselves in our, our world. And so we as Christians have to contend against the devil and against the rulers and against the authorities, against these spiritual forces of, of darkness. And so church, let me be as clear as I can be. Why are we to be strong in the Lord? Why do we need his strength? Because we are in a battle against spiritual beings who are opposed to God and opposed to his people. Do not be ignorant of this fact. Your flesh does a pretty good job on its own of, of taking the good desires that God gave us and twisting them and elevating those desires against God and against his word. But make no mistake, 
there are also spiritual beings who are opposed to you and opposed to God. Look at what verse 12 says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Wrestle. The idea here is hand-to-hand combat. Like, you might not see it. You might not recognize it. But there are forces working against us. And so we need to be wide awake. The devil and demons are real. I hope you know that. Modern people sometimes poo-poo the idea. That's a theological term, by the way. They poo-poo the idea that the devil and demons are real. But we don't. We know that they're real. The people in Ephesus knew that demons were real. In fact, we know that because there was this story that we find in the book of Acts, an event that happened when Paul was actually making his way through Asia Minor and he was proclaiming the gospel. As he was making his way into Ephesus, we read in Acts chapter 19, the story of, of how in verse 11 and verse 12, Paul was doing all of these miracles. And so people were wanting to hear from him because God was doing these miracles through him to validate the ministry of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ. But then verse 13 says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, so these are not believers. These are, these are Jews who have not converted to Christianity. It says, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So Paul's getting really popular because he's doing things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Some, some Jews get it in their minds like, well, if he's invoking the name of this guy, Lord Jesus, why don't we invoke the name of this guy, Lord Jesus? Maybe we can cast out demons. And so they were saying, as the end of verse 13 says, I adjure you by, G- by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Notice, not the Jesus that I believe, not in the Jesus who indwells me. So they're going around and they're trying to cast out demons. And look what it says, verse 14. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them when they tried to do this. Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? That would cause the hairs on my arms to stand up. (laughs) This isn't going to go like I'm planning here, right? They're like, you know, we adjure you in the name of the Lord Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And they're like, This evil spirit says, yeah, I know Jesus, I know of Paul, but who are you? What authority do you have? And check out verse 16. And the man in whom was the evil spirit, this is one man possessed by the spirit, leaped on them, mastered all of them. How many were there? Seven. One man overpowered seven of them so that they fled out of that house naked and what? Wounded. Check that out. Now, this story of what happened, happened, this happened in Ephesus. So, so, when, so when Paul's talking to the church in Ephesus about spiritual forces opposed to, to Christ and to his people, they weren't like, really, really, spiritual forces? They're like, no, yeah, did you hear the story about the sons of Sceva? You know, they got whipped up so bad that they fled the house naked? Like, so they understood this and they lived in that reality. Do we live in that reality? And one, one more truth about this too, just so that we're clear, all those who are not in Jesus Christ, just so we're clear on this, like if you're not in Jesus Christ, you are under the devil's power. That's what the Bible proclaims. You're either part of the kingdom of the beloved son or you're part of Satan's kingdom. We already looked at this actually in Ephesians. He already told us back in Ephesians chapter two that we have, as he says there in verse one of chapter two, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
No one in this world is neutral when it comes to the spiritual realm. There's no neutral. There's no Switzerland here, right? It's not like, I haven't made my decision. I don't know if I'm with Jesus. I don't, you know, I'm definitely not with that Satan. No. No, if you're not with Jesus, then you are under the power of, of Satan. Uh, John 1, 5, 19 says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, does that mean that this is a battle against two equal opposing forces? Does like Satan have more power than God in this battle? The answer is no. We're gonna see that in just a moment. But make no mistake, you wanna know why the world is at times the way that it is. You wanna know why people do some of the things that they do. There are things that humanity is engaged in that are so grotesque that are not even worthy for me to even hint at in a message. And you say, how did we get there? How could somebody do those types of things? I'm telling you, the sinful nature doesn't get you there on its own. You just didn't come up with that with the sinful nature. That is Satan at work in people's lives under his power that ultimately look to destroy God's design and God's image in the world. Anywhere where you see the image of God and man being torn down, anywhere where you see structures in society at work to tear apart what God has set in order, there you see Satan's influence on display. The devil and the demons are real, but here's where everything turns, and here's where we need to be abundantly clear. In John's gospel, when Jesus was speaking, he said these words. He says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. We just talked about internal struggles, spiritual opposition. But what does Jesus go on to say? Jesus goes on to say, but take heart, I have what? Overcome the world. Satan and the forces of darkness that are opposed to us, they cannot have victory over us. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me be as clear as I can be here. One of the things that this means is that followers of Jesus who have the Holy Spirit inside of them, who are sealed with the Holy Spirit, they cannot be possessed by demons. Demons cannot possess. You cannot reside. The, the Spirit of God cannot reside with the spirits of evil. Praise God for that, amen? Oh, but be afraid, be very afraid if you do not have the spirit of Christ in you. The same cannot be said. That's every time we see demon possession in the scriptures, it is always those who, in which Christ does not dwell. But make no mistake, if you have the spirit of Christ in you, Jesus said, take heart. Yes, you will have internal struggles. Yes, you will have spiritual possession. But take heart, for he has overcome the world. Do not be discouraged, because as this text shows us, yes, internal struggles exist. Yes, spiritual opposition exists. But finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. He's calling us to say, this is the reality in which you live, but let me give you now the shot in the arm. Let me give you the encouragement. This is what we're going to look at more detail in the next few weeks. Listen, what the scripture tells us is clear as day is that Jesus Christ provides, Jesus Christ provides the power to overcome our struggles and our opposition. Can I get an amen to that? That is what Paul is trying to say at the end of this letter. Why? 
Why do I go to Jesus for help? Because he alone provides the power to overcome our struggles. And the fullness of this power, church, oh, what power he has shown. Because he has won the victory over sin and death and hell. At the cross of Jesus Christ, Satan thought the victory had been won. The Son of God, humiliated, crucified, dead, and buried in a tomb. And yet three days later, he rose from the dead. And in doing so, proclaimed, all power and all glory belongs to me. There's not one one inch of this earth in which Jesus does not now have authority. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to, to me. It's not as though Satan still does not exercise by God's design the influence on those who are not in Christ, but Christ is saying, make no mistake, I have won a victory and that victory is final and that victory is complete. And all who are in me, there is no lacking of any power that you need because I have won the victory. I'm gonna tell you this. I didn't have time the first hour, but I'm gonna tell you just this little thing. I'm gonna build on it next week because it's so exciting to me. Do you, do you see in the text how he says, stand, stand firm? I, I want you to withstand. Over and over again, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might and I want you to stand. All right. This is what we're gonna look at more next week, but I wanna give you this encouragement right here today. Do you know why he calls you to stand? Do you know why he calls you to stand? Because there's no more ground that you have to win. Are you tracking with me? The battle is won completely. He's not asking you to advance. He's just saying, stand. Stand upon the ground that Jesus has already won through his death for you. All you gotta do is just stand. You don't have to win anything. You just have to stand. And then as we see in the text, the reason why we go to Jesus and look to his strength is because for this very reason, it's that not only does he provide the power, but when he's talking about the armor of God, and this is what we're gonna flesh out, Jesus provides the protection to overcome our struggles and our opposition. Not only does he give you the, the power because he has the victory over the place where you're standing, but he says, I'm gonna give you the protection. I've given you my armor. All you gotta do is stand in the armor. You have the power and the protection. You have everything that you need to fight your internal struggles and to battle against spiritual forces that are opposed to you. Praise God for that, amen? He's done that for us. And so we just come to him. Not once, but when he says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, it's this invitation to come back time and time again. Oh man, how many of you wish that you never had to go to the gas station again? I know I do. Because there's a cost for you every time you go back to that gas station, right? You and I have to pay something to get what we need for our cars to go. See, this is where that illustration breaks down. It costs you nothing to go to Jesus time and time again. He comes and he provides his power and he provides his protection and he keeps giving and he keeps giving and he will never charge you for it because the payment's already been made. Praise the Lord, amen? Let's pray together.